as we continue worshiping together today. Siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Exodus, the 32nd chapter, beginning with the first verse. Let us receive together the word of God. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised. I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Friends, will you pray with me? God draws close to you. Settle us down and open us up to receive whatever you have for us today. Because of me or in spite of me, may your love and grace, your message be received. I pray it in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever experienced a moment when it felt like no one was at the wheel? Like you're either stuck in neutral or perhaps careening toward a cliff with no one who seems to be around or able to do anything about it. 
Well, that's where the Israelites are. God is up a mountain and Moses went up there too. And there's not been a peep from them for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites' response to this reflects, I think, a common human tendency when feeling powerless and miserable and when faced with waiting and uncertainty and silence. They get impatient and fickle and make some seriously questionable decisions. The Israelites, aided and abetted by Moses' brother, Aaron, decide they've had enough of not having things in their own hands. They've had enough of not controlling the timeline and the journey's itinerary. And so, driven by perhaps some perverse nostalgia, and an even more irrational trust in the values represented by a golden bull, an image, by the way, made of riches gleaned from the Egyptian empire that had enslaved them. Anyway, driven by these things, the people throw God over for a sacred cow. Now, just to be clear, the people have already received the Ten Commandments. They've also pledged on multiple occasions and with great gusto that they will live according to the words that God gave Moses. And okay, it's been a while that they've been waiting but likely not seven months of COVID quarantine. I digress. Anyway, here they are in some ancient version of Burning Man out in the desert, perhaps thinking that their own wealth and creativity and ideas and God, the gods that they make for themselves, will lead them into a future that is better than what that other God had promised. Lately, I've been hearing these conversations in my mind when I read scripture. And when I read this one, I can imagine this kind of conversation at the foot of the mountain. That God said we'd never be abandoned. Yeah, right. And this Moses, he seems to have done all he's capable of. Whatever. And why did we think that God was so great in the beginning? Where is that God right now? And what has that God done for us lately? We're the ones that have been doing all the heavy lifting. So our strength and vision and experience are enough. The gods made from our stuff, the gods that are familiar, the gods that can be held with a leash of our own imagination are so much more predictable and manageable than that God who seems way too free. Let's make some golden gods and party. And none of this is really that shocking 
In fact, it's all rather painfully familiar. How many of us have been tempted to worship at the altar of sacred cows, the old familiar ways? How many of us get impatient with God and are tempted to throw God over? How many of us catch ourselves paying homage to the bull market and worshiping at the altar of the almighty dollar? How many of us or those around us pine with nostalgia for some illusory past in which we try to convince ourselves that things were so much better? This is all very human and familiar, whether it's the 13th century before the Common Era or this seemingly God-forsaken 2020. There are no surprises here. What does seem shocking in the story we receive today is that God is so ready to do the people in. But if anyone's paying attention, this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, as we were reminded in our text today, this God whose name is I am that I am or I will be what I will be. The God who chose to be in a love relationship with a people who were from the other side of the tracks. This God is passionate and perfectly free to feel all the fields. As Pastor Casey said, this God often feels big feelings. God's first reaction in this story is to disown his people and then proceeds to propose raining fire on the people, on their party and their golden statue, and then to be done with it. You see, this God gets hurt, gets angry, gets disappointed. God must maybe care. Good thing Moses was there in this moment, though. And Moses was there with God because evidently God knew who was needed as a partner in the relationship and in the work with this people. Way back at Horeb, when God first spoke to Moses from the bush that burned but was not consumed, God was clear that Moses was the person for the job. Wouldn't take any excuses. All of Moses' insecurities. Nope, you're the one. Perhaps it was because Moses proved in that moment that he could hang in there with a God who could get hot as a firecracker, who had the capacity to consume things with fire, but was able to refrain from doing so. Who knows? It's just a thought. Certainly, that's what Moses does in our story today. In the face of God's burning hurt and rage, 
Moses acts as the people's advocate and as God's advisor. On the surface, Moses appeals to God's political reputation. Do you really want the Egyptians to think you were just kidding about your love and your compassion for the people who you brought out of slavery? Do you want the Egyptians to think that you're a hypocrite, that you are evil? But it really is deeper than just political advice that Moses offers. Moses says, God, remember. Remember what you've done. Remember the faces of these, your people. Remember all those that you have loved and who have loved you through the ages. Those to whom you promised your presence, your providence, your love. Remember. Remember who you are. A few weeks ago, I received my first ever topic request for a Facebook Live Ponderings from the Purple Parlor, the midweek message that I do each week. The question I was asked to address is basically, why doesn't God punish people who do harm, who don't live as God has asked us to live? Or as I boiled it down, why do good things happen to bad people? As I reflected on the question, I was clear that it really comes down to what kind of God we have. What kind of God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, Moses, Miriam, Esther, Ruth, and Jesus? As I've already shared, this God is passionate, sometimes burning with love and other times with wrath. And yet the story we tell is that even when our God has been forgotten, ignored, betrayed, defied, blown off, thrown over, even when our God has to watch beloved ones do silly, selfish, cruel, destructive things, even in all that, our God doesn't abandon or destroy us. And God doesn't coerce or manipulate us, which is, by the way, another form of violence when it comes to many things. But God really wants to be in a relationship with us. And for that to work, everyone has to be free to choose, free to choose to receive or to give love and care. The God of our spiritual tradition may have moments of rage and disappointment and grief, but is, at the end of the day, compassionate and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. And that's lovely when it means that we receive compassion and mercy. It is not at all emotionally satisfying when we 
look around at those who are happily worshiping their golden bulls and making themselves gods and living the high life all the while defrauding the poor and demonizing the marginalized and using people as commodities and poisoning the earth. Why doesn't God do something about that? And here's where I'm kind of stunned at Moses in this story. Because notice that in the midst of the divine fit that God is throwing, God says to Moses, and of you, I will make a great nation. How tempting is that? After all, the people dancing around the bull in the valley have been blaming Moses for every little thing that happened since they crossed over on dry land. And being the patriarch of a great nation would mean enjoying the good things of life, privilege, wealth, and more. It could have been very emotionally satisfying at a certain level for Moses to see those people get punished by God for their lack of gratitude, for the ways they had hurt him, for taking him for granted, for their fickleness and their sin, for being so quick to forget. That could have been really emotionally satisfying. But the people may have forgotten, but Moses doesn't. Forget who God is. Moses doesn't forget that God spared his life on more than one occasion, that God called him, called him a stutterer to speak in the halls of power, that God knew he was a murderer and still honored him with a mighty task to participate in the liberation of those in bondage and to do so with an intimacy with God that gives him strength. Moses doesn't forget who God is, a God who receives the cries of the suffering, who is gracious and merciful who provides manna in the desert and water from a rock, the God who refuses to stand by while beloved ones are oppressed, who lifts up the lowly and makes a way when there seems to be no way. God was remembered by Moses. So instead of egging God on and cashing in on God's pain-inspired offer to make Moses king of the castle, Moses, in a stunning act of humility and faithfulness, says to God, remember, remember who you are. Now, God must have known that Moses, even with all his perfect imperfections, was the one that God needed on that stretch of the journey for such a time as that time on Mount Sinai. In verse 14, we're told that after listening to Moses, God changed God's mind. Verse 
the word here, vayin nachem, has echoes of repentance, of feeling sorry for something. God turns away from fierce wrath, remembers what is true, remembers God's own heart of love and compassion and how much the people have already been through. In a time such as this, a moment of crisis on so many levels in our land and in our world, it is important to remember what is real and what matters most of all. Remember what kind of God we serve. For it's the image of that God imprinted upon all flesh. That is what we are made for. It is the love, justice, and compassion of that God that we are made to enact in the world. Remember. Remember that the awful headlines do not represent the whole of the human family. Remember. Remember how God has been gracious and merciful to you when you didn't deserve it. Remember. Remember when God has brought you through and helped you cross over. Remember. Remember when somehow you had enough to get by when you couldn't believe it was possible. Do you remember? Remember that God has called you and empowered you to be yourself in the world. To offer your strength and your vision and your humor and your talent and your brilliance and your creativity and your kindness to the great work of mending and making a more gentle world. Remember Remember that you are part of God's family. And your family name is beloved. Remember. Remember that you are the person God needs right now to step up, to serve, to give, to pray, to love, to advocate for such a time as this that we together are stronger and called for such a time as this. Remember. Remember that even when it seems that things are stuck or careening toward a cliff or mired in greed and conflict and violence and fear, remember that God has promised to see us through to a new place, a new life, and restored community. Remember. And then go ahead and throw a party. Giving thanks 
for that God of ours who will never let us go. Amen. Amen.